This podcast is for information purposes only and is not and should not be construed as professional advice or an offer or commitment by any Rabobank group member to enter into a transaction. The views expressed by the presenter and or guest are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of Rabobank. Please see the podcast description for our full disclaimer. Welcome to Rabo Talks Growing Our Future, where we talk to experts from both here in New Zealand and across the world to bring New Zealand farmers and growers the information they need to make informed, strategic decisions about the future direction of their business to ensure they continue to thrive in a fast-changing world. Chelsea Hopkins is a consultant for Ag First, a multi-sector agri-consulting company that spans the country. She recently completed her Bachelor of Agribusiness and prior to that, completed the Agribusiness and Schools program at the Fielding High School. She's a great ambassador for young people entering the agriculture support sector and brings a really unique perspective to the industry. In today's episode, we discuss farming trends in the Manawatu, the changing environmental space and the opportunities that brings farmers. We also talk about her background in agriculture, Chelsea's pathway through school, and the benefits of the Agribusiness and Schools program. She gives me great faith for the future. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Chelsea. So lovely to have you with us today. Hi, Katie. Thanks so much for having me. Chelsea, can you just tell me a little bit about yourself and um, your career to date and what you're currently doing in your role in the industry at the moment? So I grew up in the Manawatu, born and bred here and still currently live here. I am from a dairy farming background originally and sort of grew up around farming with my family heavily involved in both the dairy and the sheep and beef sector. I knew from a young age that the practical side of farming really wasn't for me, but I sort of had people with similar aspirations and values um, that instilled a passion in me sort of through high school, I suppose. I went to Fielding High School and got into a horticulture class and discovered that I really loved growing and producing food. So that's sort of where the passion sort of started for me. And then I had some really great teachers there that really supported me and saw my passion and really pushed me in the direction of pursuing a career in agriculture. So moving on from there, I went to Massey University in 2019 and did a Bachelor of Agribusiness and did three wonderful years there, had great experiences, ended up getting top farm management student and second top in my final year. So that was a real real highlight. So you did do some work at university. Yeah. (laughs) Unlike some of us. (laughs) Yeah. I must have done some work or done something right, I suppose. Yeah, and had various jobs there. So I worked at Farm Source when I was at university. Some people told me travelling an hour on a Saturday to do a three-hour shift was kind of pointless, but got me a foot in the door, learned how to communicate properly with farmers, just learned a whole bunch of really transferable skills from that experience. Worked as an agronomist on a vegetable production down in the Horofanua, so that was a great experience. Was that after university? No, so that was in my practical work during summer. I really wanted to immerse myself in something that was totally unfamiliar to me. Of course, farming was something that was more familiar, so tried to put myself a little bit out of my comfort zone, I suppose. Then Erica offered me an internship in my third year of university at AgFirst. So, yeah, I, I was sort of walking in her door every year of my university. So when I approached her in third year wanting an internship, 
she was pretty willing. So yeah, that was part of my university course. So sort of went through the whole year there, um, then started looking for jobs and she offered me a job as soon as I started mentioning I was looking for something. So yeah, got a full-time consultancy role straight out of university, which is kind of unheard of. There's no one out of my year that got one. So I was very lucky and being able to stay around home was something that I really was really wanting to do. So yeah, so now being there for, it's actually my second anniversary, so two years at Ag First yesterday. So yeah, really love working with my farmers and my clients and helping support them both in the environmental sustainability space, but um, also in financial and Mm. profitable businesses. So yeah, that's kind of my journey from a career standpoint, but um, personally, I'm really involved in the local community. I'm a volunteer umpire for Netball Manawatu here. I'm also on the Netball Manawatu board. I really love getting outside, spending time with my partner and my family and my friends, and um, I'm real into my sport as well. So I play tennis here as well. So, um, yeah, but now a full-time fledged agribusiness consultant, which I'm absolutely loving. Wow, amazing. You really are a superstar. Now, I'm sure we're going to get into the kind of details around your current role, but I want to rewind a little bit and talk about your, obviously you you have your passion for agriculture and agribusiness more specifically sort of since school. How did your school support that interest and what did you do to get into that kind of space? I mean, you talked about passionate teachers and people that supported you, but more practically, like what is it, how did you get into agribusiness? How did your school support you in that? I do credit a really good teacher, Melanie Simmons. Um, I took horticulture throughout all my years when I was at school and I had a real passion for business as well. And I was trying to talk to her around how I could combine my passions. At the time when I was at school, they introduced a subject called agribusiness. So um, she recommended to me that that might be quite a good one. I kind of had the practical side of horticulture, although I love that really for career wise, that wasn't really something I was looking at. So, yeah, she suggested that agribusiness was an incoming subject, something that I could try, and then, yeah, sort of took that subject and, yeah, really enjoyed that sort of combining two passions that I had. And then, yeah, the school has a really, really good immersive environment. They've got a full-fledged horticulture unit there, um, a dairy farm, a sheep and beef unit. It's really got everything that you could ask for in terms of someone, um, if you're passionate about a subject, you've really got the both the practical and the business side all in one. And then when I was leaving school, they had a scholarship that supported me to go forward to university. So in terms of probably financial support, support from teachers, so Melanie Simmons and Kate Redpath, both amazing ladies that um, helped me. And yeah, just some really, three really good subjects that just gave a full-fledged look into the agriculture and horticultural space. And I kind of want to dive into that a little bit more around agribusiness and schools, because whilst obviously on our podcast, we're really around bringing insights to farmers and growers to help them make more strategic decisions. I think it's quite cool to look at whether people, listeners have got children that are wanting to get into agribusiness or young listeners that are kind of, you know, have got peers that they're kind of working with. What is agribusiness and schools? And How did that specific kind of module really help you? I mean, obviously you've touched on the fact that it led you into agribusiness, but what was it about it that kind of really helped you? Yeah, so uh, agribusiness was something, I think it was introduced in 2016 or 2017, so right when I was at school. 
But sort of the aim of the subject is to gain a full understanding of a full value chain. So it's right from the start, from the growing side to right when it's almost exported. So you sort of go through all your processing side, distribution, all of that side, and also the support businesses like fertilizer, consultants, and sort of it's using real life scenarios So and real life businesses. So I guess it gives you an insight into in a school environment, what it's like in real life, which not a lot of subjects at school give you. It's in over 100 schools now. I just attended the 10-year celebration at St Paul's Collegiate earlier this year and the amount of students now that are taking it and the amount of and how the subjects now evolved. I think 60-something percent is now in urban schools, which when you first started, that wouldn't have been seen. So just the exposure from both an urban and rural environment is really growing. But I think it's just the exposure to the wide range of the value chain that it gives you and the real life examples that you can then come out and say, well, yeah, that's actually something that I would like to be involved in going forward. Yeah. Like I did PE at school. It was probably the closest thing I could get to that was something, I mean, it's nothing to do with agriculture, but it was kind of a bit practical. And, you know, like if that was an opportunity for me, it would have really helped me have more clarity probably around wanting to get into agribusiness. I took me a little bit of time at Lincoln to figure out where that that space for me was. So um, it's so cool to hear that, that there's such a, Um, structured pathway in terms of opening up kind of all of those doors around what agribusiness actually is because I think as you say it's so broad there's so many different jobs available so getting that exposure both to the rural and and the urban kind of population is so important. Yeah and I think that's what I didn't quite realise until I took you know agribusiness at school was the wide range of career opportunities that agriculture offered And that's why I didn't really, before high school, really ever consider it as a viable career option for myself until that point. And further promoting the sort of career options now going forward, you know, with all the science and innovation that's starting to be introduced into the subject. So it's forever evolving as well, which is really cool. Okay, so now let's zoom back out a little bit into how this kind of your experience through agribusiness and schools and then through university, how did that help you first get a job? I mean, you touched on it a little bit when you talked about your background, but if you could just be a bit more specific around like what are the things that you picked up from your experience at school and at university that helped you get into your first job? I suppose from a high school point of view, it sort of just created a base knowledge for me around a whole bunch of different concepts and a whole bunch of different industries. It was great throughout high school. We were really exposed to a bunch of different industries. And then that sort of helped you decide what you wanted to do at university. And then I suppose university, it, it gives you a little bit more focus in on a focus area that you want to focus on. So um, for me, it was more the farm management, financial and budgeting. That sort of side was kind of where I was looking. And then I was able to integrate horticulture into my degree, which was really important to me. So I kind of had a, quite a diverse offering when when I was looking for jobs because I, sort of I sort of had the horticulture side, the business side, and then I was able to integrate agricultural papers into it as well so yeah probably at um, university just built on all that knowledge but what I found really valuable was the practical side of it that I got from all my work experience that's probably where I got a lot of the value from selecting work experience that would further would further my career options and when I was looking for jobs um, that was something that was really commented on was the diverse job experience that I had 
would lead me in good stead and a lot of transferable skills. But, you know, when you go and when you go into a first job, it's always a clean slate and you're kind of learning from scratch and employers are only looking for a willingness to learn. And if you can communicate well, generally you're going on the right track. But yeah, I was fairly lucky to be picked up by a great employer from the start, which has been which has been amazing and um, continue to develop my skills, building on from my high school experience and then going on to university and just building from there. Mm, goodness, we need to clone you, Chelsea. When you talk about some of those transferable skills, what are they? Like, what would you say some of those skills are that you picked up along your journey that have really stood you in good stead? What are they? A lot of people speak about soft skills. So um, that's something that you don't really get from university, but it's something that I really valued out of my job. So the ability to communicate, the ability to make good networks, handling conflict, taking opportunities, time management, problem solving, those sort of things. You know, university teaches you only a very base of that, but especially, you know, my job at Farm Source, the ability to communicate really well, make networks with rural professionals, farmers, you know, because you come across all sorts of different people in this job. So it's all about how you can how you can connect with them, not just in the short term, but in a long term situation as well. We've been having quite a few discussions at Rubberbank lately around the importance of mentors like with our new grad intake and just widely across the business about the impact of mentors. Yeah, I've probably had a couple over my time. I suppose they've changed as I've gone through a little bit through going, transitioning into university, sort of utilised my high school teachers. So those were kind of two people that I used transitioning into university and I'm still connected with them now, Um, not as much throughout my career, but... And then most recently, um, Ellen Nelson, she's one that I've connected to quite recently. I've been doing a bit in the um, promoting youth to get into agriculture. So I spoke to the primary production committee about that at government last year. So um, she's sort of been a person that I've used to help me along that. And she's, yeah, she's been really supportive of me. And then, of course, my boss has been amazing in supporting me as well. So I'd probably consider her also a mentor now in the space where I'm currently in in my career. So in terms of all of the skills you've learned and and your experiences over the last how many years? How many years has it been? Two years out of uni and five and a bit years out of school, I suppose. How do you think those skills and the experience that you've gained are helping farmers and growers? Well, it's a hard thing to say because you don't, you always wonder how much of a contribution you can make, I suppose. But I've had a base knowledge from my farming background, so I suppose I bring I bring the base knowledge through, but also I always look to make a higher contribution greater than myself. So um, if they are getting the outcome that they want, then I've I've done my job, and if they're wanting uh, building on a further relationship and a continual relationship in terms of a client base, that's really important for us. Is that shows that we've done. We've done a good job and, yeah, I suppose, you know, the ability to communicate really well and that sort of thing holds you in good stead um, when you're working as a consultant because that's quite important. And um, based out of the Manawatu, what are you observing, I guess, in terms of some of the biggest opportunities and maybe some of the biggest challenges facing farmers in the region? I suppose some of these are not just Manawatu specific, but, yeah, I suppose starting with challenges, Obviously, we weren't as impacted by the weather conditions as other areas around the country, but we had more localised in the Tararua and the Pahongana up here um, had quite severe damage. So, yeah, we've seen some pretty localised, especially from Gabriel. So um, that's probably something that's affecting farmers in our region. 
Obviously, we're quite reliant on Hawke's Bay for our lamb trade. So through Gabriel, that's been quite a challenge, probably squeezing price margins and cost margins. Of course, that's been seen around the country, especially with the dairy price and then the lamb price dropping. So um, that's probably something that we're seeing. Of course, we're on a floodplain here as well. So seeing some localised um, flooding around the place as well. So that's probably some of the challenges. But we've got some big opportunities too. We've got some of the really great local businesses here over by Massey University. We've got places like Ag Research and Plant and Food, Dairy NZ, Fonterra, Agri HQ, Food HQ. So we've got some really great, in terms of research and development, we've got a really great hub over there and a lot of farm support businesses as well. You know, we've got one of the biggest, well, we've got the biggest stockyards in the Southern Hemisphere here in Fielding where I live. So Claim to fame. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, g- give Fielding its name, I suppose. But um, <laughs> But um, yeah, we've got a really great farming community. So yeah, there's a lot of opportunities and we've got really diverse farming here. You know, we've got the sheep and beef um, towards the ranges. We've got the dairy down the flats by the rivers. And then you go about an hour south of here and you've got um, horticulture, whether that's in um, tunnel houses for strawberries or um, vegetable production in Levin. So we've got quite a diverse landscape, which I think is a really great opportunity going forward to spread risk across businesses, as we've seen with a lot of farmers struggling um, in the profitability space. Really being able to spread risk going forward, I think, is quite a big opportunity for us. Do you have many farmers that have got quite a diverse farm system, like in one in one farm group that's got quite a lot of diversity or sort of? It's not something we've seen too much. Um, predominantly people are just in one land use. So I think that's probably an opportunity going forward. Um, we're starting to see a bit of um, vegetable growing around Palmerston North as well. So we've got solar produce um, just on the outskirts of Palmerston North. So I think there is quite an opportunity for that going forward. I just don't think we're seeing it just quite yet. That leads quite nicely into my next question that I wanted to ask you was around like what trends are you noticing um, from your kind of unique perspective being young in the sector and, you know, being in that kind of farm system consultant space? What are you noticing from a trend perspective in the environmental space? Yeah, I suppose taking a more high level look at this question, probably at New Zealand as an economy is seeing quite a few demands from overseas markets in terms of our, you know, our sustainability and our environmental footprint, what consumers are demanding at the moment. So I suppose as farmers, it's how we, I think we're in a space where how do we communicate what we're doing on our farms to our wide stakeholder groups? Because you know, going forward in the sustainability space, more people like banks, um, processors, councils, regulators, everyone is going to be demanding farmers to communicate on these sort of areas. So I think the real, well, it's a challenge and it's an opportunity. And I think that's the space we're currently in is how do farmers share what they're doing? Because what I see is farmers are doing some really great things and, but most of it's not shared. A lot of it in the media is quite a negative portrayal of what's actually happening on farms. So, you know, we can always do better, but I think it's going forward. We're sort of in a in a spot where how do we communicate as farmers and as rural professionals? How can we help them communicate to these wide range of stakeholder groups of what we're doing on our farms? 
So how do we do that? I mean, it's a million dollar question, right? Because people, I mean, ever since I left university, everyone, we know it's always been say we need to tell our story better. We had a guest um, last week, James Robertson, who's works with Ontario based out of Shanghai, you know, had the similar message around when if our Chinese consumers could see what we did on farm, like it would just the story would sell itself, which we know it does, but you know, in, in the age of transparency and that sort of thing, it's getting harder to do. When you say we need to share our stories or communicate more clearly, what what does that actually look like practically when you're talking to a farmer? I think it's more at a, you know, we talk about it at an international level, it being really important, but I think we've got quite, well, it's an opportunity and a challenge in our current country to communicate that better. I talk about it as talking in schools as well about what we do. Some urban population, you know, it's being communicated through that sort of urban generation they don't quite understand what's happening on farms. So getting agriculture more into schools, getting students immersed in the subject, whether that's um, through days on farm, visits to growers, um, just getting students, because our generation is the future and the generation, well, the people coming through below me. And so it's, you know, it's getting them to understand the great things that farmers are doing, getting them immersed in the environment, because that's the generation that's coming through and forming opinions. So I think, you know, it's got to start in schools and that's got to start young. We can't start once kids are 17 and 18 because people have already formed opinions. So I think it starts there and then, you know, that filters through when they go home and share it with their parents. So I think it's, I think it's that generation that's going to be the future. So that's probably where we need to start. Okay, I've got a question that I always ask everyone. What do you think our food and fibre sector is going to look like in 2050? You can be creative here. What do you want it to look like? Uh, Technology and innovation, I think, is going to be massive for us going forward. You know, we're seeing quite a workforce shortage across many of our primary sectors. So removing those labour intensive jobs, not all of them are going to be removed, but getting people into more specialised roles. The way we're farming is changing, so we need to change with it. So in terms of from an environmentally footprint point of view, thinking about how we produce food um, going forward and how we're sharing that story, I think is going to be really important because as a society, consumers are really demanding that. So I think that's quite an important one. Climate conditions, I think, is going to be forever a challenging one, especially towards the coast. I think we're going to see quite a changing of land use in different regions. I wouldn't be surprised if we see places like Southland, you know, that's becoming a more dry area, whether we see horticulture move down to Southland, that wouldn't surprise me. But yeah, a more diversified primary sector is what I think we'll experience going forward, um, creating of more niche products to meet consumer demands. I think that'll be quite an important one to continue to meet those consumer expectations. The other thing I thought about was a d- more diverse workforce. I think at the moment, more women and young people coming into the workforce because we've obviously got quite an ageing workforce at the moment. So I think going forward, um, it's going to become more diverse across race and gender. I think both of those are going to be quite important. Research and development, that's another one. You know, looking at, at the moment into greenhouse gas technologies, low methane, sheep and cattle, I think that'll just be a common feature on our farms going forward. Um, low GM ryegrass, that sort of thing being more commonly accepted. Yeah, so that's sort of what I thought about when I was thinking 2050. Nice. It's always, it's quite challenging sometimes being asked to think that far ahead, but also 
quite cool because it, it enables you to sort of think a bit creatively about what, what we want that future to look like, I suppose. Well, I guess uh, for me, it's kind of looking at all, it'll be the next generation coming through. So it'll be people my age in 2050. So it's yeah, looking what they will see, I suppose. Before we wrap up, Chelsea, any key messages or last words that you'd want to share for younger New Zealand farmers and growers that are listening? Share your story and share your passion because one story can inspire one person. That would be one. And then farming is not just a job, it's a livelihood. People don't walk away from their farms every day. It's their pride and joy. So just immerse yourself as much as you can. Amazing. Chelsea, you've been a real inspiration and gives me, so, I mean, I already have so much hope for our future, but it gives me, yeah, I guess just a sense of pride that we've got such good young talent coming through the pathways and into different areas of the, of the ag sector. So um, really appreciate your time today and your insights. It's been super valuable and yeah, I loved catching up with you. So thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Rabo Talks Growing Our Future podcast. If you are interested in learning more about how Rabobank can support you to succeed into the future, please go to rabobank.co.nz.